We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app i tell you what i am so energized alive it's like it's 11 o'clock in the morning for me not 10 o'clock at night oh my gosh it's news talk 830 wcco radio jonathan knows just a spark to plug into me to help me get my groove back thanks for that good music brother i sure do appreciate it now this is not jerry steel it's Jaletta brundage i'm filling in for my friend on steel talking we will be here jonathan and i until 11 o'clock we still have great guests lined up great conversations more to talk about including the sounds of blackness and jimmy jam and terry lewis on the billboard music awards tonight uh that performance was electrifying and and we're going to discuss it but first we're going to talk to walter jacobs and wendy taiwo thank you so much thank you both so much for being here tonight on still talking with me yes we're happy to be here oh yes and you know, we um, have had so many subject experts, so many thought leaders, uh, so many people weighing in on the death of George Floyd and and what his legacy and the murder and the movement has meant to Minneapolis. Um, and, you know, it, it's not just about, um, you know, Minnesota, but this changed the world. It changed the dynamics in the Twin Cities. It changed the dynamics in Tennessee. It it, it changed everything. It changed life as we know it, uh, perspectives and right. in, in, in inequities. Walter, talk to me about that. You're a sociologist and the dean of College uh, of Social Sciences at San Jose State University. But, but you spent 14 years right here at the University of Minnesota. Yes, I did. There for 14 years, University of Minnesota, the old General College, you know, that, that station that was uh, uh, first generation as soon as the cover came through. So I'm in California now, but of course when George Floyd was, was murdered about one year ago, I was, I was devastated. So I have lots of really good friends and family who are, who are still there. So checked in on them to make sure everything was okay. And uh, they were just talking about, you know, all the changes that was in the air. Um, really, like you said, I mean, everything has, has changed. Um, you know, my hope is that, uh, even though, you know, things are, are very tough now and, um, uh, very difficult, you know, the, the reflecting on these events will help us move forward together as a, as a people, you know, not only black folks and people of color, but everybody is Minnesotan. So that's, that, that's my hope, even though this was a very tragic, tragic event. 
Now, Walter, being 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 a part of our Twin Cities family for so long and, and moving away when you saw it from the outside looking in, because we're in it. So so yeah. we can't we can't look at it from the outside looking in. What was the perspective that you had uh, seeing it all unfold from California? Yeah, my perspective was really, you know, a lot of people in California, my friends and colleagues, are like, what's going on in Minnesota? Now, we hear that place is just a kind of a paradise. Now, everybody gets along. Minnesota nice. You know, people don't. Uh, That's what I thought when I moved yeah, here, Walter. That's yeah. what they, that was in my handbook. That's what right. they sold me on. Yeah, so what we had to say was, hey, let's, let's do something to let you know about the reality. So that was my response of, you know, creating a series of essays. Last year, this all started before the book came out. And we did essays on a site called Society Pages. And it was like people who used to be in Minnesota as professors but moved away. So they were talking about their reflections. And a lot of them talked about Minnesota nice. That when you first get there, you think everything is cool. But then when you pull away the, uh, the veneer, you see the racism and the problems underneath. And, you know, Wendy, it is difficult because I I call Minnesota racism a foxy racism. You know, Mm. if you play with a fox, uh, you know, he might a fox might play with a dog for a little while, knowing the whole while he going to eat the dog. And then, you know, he'll 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 cozy up to him and a puppy will think he got a brand new friend. He'll be jumping around and wagging his tail. And before long, that puppy will be dinner because that racism is foxy and and you don't see it coming. And it's sexy and it's seductive. and, And you think you in it to win it girl and the next thing you know somebody calling you a name that you uh, haven't heard since uh, your ancestors were picking cotton yes. and you thought you were back in Mississippi and not in Minnesota right. how does that happen I mean I, 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 I got bamboozled I ain't gonna lie to both of y'all right. I got I got bamboozled yeah, I really did right. I really did so I mean I mean I think I think about all the folks who come to Minnesota to get away from because I had a number of students who had moved down from um, Chicago right, and believe that they were moving to a place where they could truly better themselves and get away from a lot of the uh, violence that they had been experiencing, um, both, you know, the violence within the communities that, that, that they were living in, but then also the, the racism, right, like the racial mm-hmm. violence, the police constantly harassing them, right, or the, the, the kind of violence that exists where you are forced to go to segregated schools, right, even though we're living in a society that says everyone has an equal opportunity. Um, so, I mean, in Minnesota, I mean, this is why, you know, um, in the book we talk about this progressive illusion, right? There's, there's a sense that in Minnesota, um, somehow, right, this, this is a place where, uh, you know, you ha- there's a lot more woke white people, right? Um, and people are ready to confront racism. People want to move beyond racism. People are um, willing to look beyond color. Um, but like you said, right, it doesn't take much. Um, and it does creep up on you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just like yeah. the cold out there, right? I mean, <laughs> it, it creeps up on you. You could be standing outside two minutes, right? Um, and that wind chill will start seeping in through the layers that you put on. I mean, it's the same way, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I mean, it, it's subtle. I mean, I, I can remember, you know, going, you know, uh, my daughter attending a school, right? And, and, and it's, it's the way in which. Um, the the administrators don't even think about planning out a Black History Month, right? Because I mean, why would we do that, right? Why 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 would why would this be our responsibility? But then when you call them on it, right? You call them out for it. Um, then there's this this you know kind of horrified reaction of no 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 we're not we're not racist we just didn't know, right? Yeah. 
Um, yeah. But some, sometimes that's even more painful than being confronted by some blatant racism in your face. Right. Yeah. And see, um, okay, okay, Wendy, I'm gonna have to put we're gonna have to put a pen right there. Okay, so we're talking to Wendy Taiwo. She is an assistant professor of African American studies at San Jose State University. And, and she was here at Metro State University in the Twin Cities as an assistant professor of ethnic studies. So Wendy and Walter been here. They not on the outside looking in. Uh they know and they've experienced it. And 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 Wendy, I, I need to ask you, how is it that we have we who live in Minnesota, African American people who live here, who see it, who know it, who've experienced it, understand it, but somehow Minnesota has been able to paint to the rest of the world that there is no racism here, and we are living in harmony, and our schools are not segregated, and everybody has equality when we know um that there is red lines still written you know <laughs> in, in some Absolutely. paperwork to keep African Americans from certain neighborhoods. We know that right. the banking here is just as bad as anywhere else. You know, I I, I I just delivered hams for Easter in North Minneapolis and, and couldn't mm-hmm. believe that there was a food desert in a major metropolitan mm-hmm. city. Um, and, and that community has been completely uh, forgotten about about our politicians until it's time to vote. So how is it, Wendy? You're going to have to explain this to me that we uh, know and see the reality of it. But to everyone else, Minnesota has been able to paint itself as a progressive capital of the world. Right. I mean, I would say that it's similar to California where I grew up, right? So, I mean, California also paints itself as a racial, multicultural paradise, right? Even though black folks have been and continue to experience the same kind of disparities in health, um, in employment, um, in wealth, in education as black folks in Minnesota, right? Um, I mean, part of this is just, the, you know, um, the way that the state itself, right, so California or Minnesota, tells and continues to tell the story about themselves, right? I mean, it, it's, and, and it's, it's through music, it's through movies, right? It's through the way that um, the state presents itself through its tourism, right? I mean, it's, it's, I mean, they have the money and they have the capacity to paint. I mean, it's like it's, it's a, a, this really powerful PR campaign, right? They have the ability to paint themselves as these progressive, wonderful places. I mean, I know that for the Twin Cities, right, they made the list as one of the top ten places in the country, right, the best places to live, the best place to raise your family, the best place to raise your children. And when I read that, I was like, for white people, not for black people. Mm-hmm. Because right? yeah. I gave birth to my son in 2017, and I was surrounded by an all-white medical staff, and I was in intense pain, and not only did they deny, deny the, the, the intensity of my pain, right, they also threatened me and told me that if I did not cooperate with them, right, I mean, in the same way that, that for example, a law enforcement agent, right, is saying that you are resisting, you must cooperate, they said if you do not cooperate here in this room, while in labor with us, we will not give you any pain medication, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, it's like, like Walt said, right? It's under this veneer, under these layers. And, and I mean, um, I, you know, I've had a, while I was in the Twin Cities, I had a number of, um, you know, kind of traumatic incidents happen um, that really affected me. And so, I mean, I, I mean, it, it almost feels as though for me, Right. And, and other black folks I've talked to um, as though we really are living like when you're there, you're living in an episode of, of, of Get Out, the movie. 
right? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. you really are, you know, in a way, a hostage in this place, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there, there's a seductiveness to, um, you know, I mean, the way that, that you, you're also kind of encouraged to, to remain, right? Like you're constantly told by, by different non-black people, right, that, you know, you belong here and, and we're all here together. Uh, we're all Minnesota you know, um, but for black folks, I mean, you know, our experiences are so um, radically different. Um, but oftentimes when we talk about our experiences to our, to our you know, white colleagues, our white neighbors, I mean, I mean it, it's, they can't even imagine. They can't even fathom it, right? And, and so they look at you like you're crazy and they're like, Really? Yeah. Really that okay. Okay. Hold on, because I want to. I want to ask Walter about that. That was my next question, girl. You are reading my mind. Well, we got to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, I want to talk to uh, Professor Jacobs, uh, Dean Jacobs, about that question. Um, have Have Minnesotans um, who are not black fooled themselves into believing? That racism doesn't exist and did George Floyd's death raise the veil? We're going to ask that question next. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It's 1024. You're listening to Steel Talking. Gerilyn uh, Steele, your host, is off tonight. My name is Shaletta Brundage. I'm filling in for my friend. You can catch me normally on Saturdays from 11 to 2 right here on your good neighbor station. Speaking of girl on fire, uh, the spark baby has been lit and sparked is a book of essays bringing together the perspectives of social scientists and professors and other academics who have worked in Minnesota. Walter Jacobs and Wendy Taiwo are here with me tonight and we are breaking it all the way down. If uh, your feelings get hurt, say ouch, because sometimes, you know, these conversations are going to be difficult and, and, and change in order for change to happen. You know, some funky stuff has to take place and, 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 and and we're just, you know, we're pulling back the layers tonight so that people can understand that change needs to happen. It's not all good in the hood. Um, it's not it's not those people's fault. It's not always them. Sometimes it's us and the us we're talking about is you, the people uh, in the mirror at your house when you look into it and, and you brush your teeth. There's some change that needs to happen. And, and Walter, you know, one thing that, that happened for me is that. Um, you know, I've been giving my kids to talk since they could talk. 
you know, uh, respect the police. They are not your friends. You do not talk back. You do not put your hands in the pocket. You do not get to wear a hoodie. You cannot play on your skateboard. You can't go nowhere without us. Don't breathe the blink. If they ask you to do something, you do it and, and don't defend yourself. Your parents will do that for you. If you get hit by an officer and, and you think it's for no good reason, you take a licking and you keep on ticking until we get there with your attorney. And, and, and you know, I, my baby was four years old and my wife friends in Minnesota were like, oh my God, why are you telling your children that? That's horrible. You're going to make them hate the police or, or be afraid. And, and I told them, listen, they need to have a healthy fear. Right. right. So, right. so, so, so Dean Jacobs, we, we sitting up here and George Floyd dies and yeah. my phone's ringing mm-hmm. and my, my same friends who called me the crazy lady were like, Oh my God, we didn't know. You were right. Yeah. But, but Dean Jacobs, I told them, how did they not know? <laughs> how, how, to help me understand something. You got fifty eleven degrees over there. <laughs> Explain to me, uh, Dean Jacobs, how they did not know. They didn't know because they didn't want to know. Like Wendy was saying, you have an investment in really not knowing the truth because it really challenges your privilege. So it makes you see the realities that you don't want to you don't want to see. You want to see yourself as a, as a good person. But what they have to understand is that you know, even if you're a good person, there are these systems, systematic racism, that even if you're the best person that ever lived in the whole world, people stuff, stuff is still going to happen to people. So you know, one of the reasons why we wrote the book was to let people hear these stories, to let them know what's going on, and to have conversations, to talk to people, to uh, to open the eyes of, of other good people, people who see themselves as good, um, to to go to their to their book clubs and have conversations. So my we we hope that the conversations are happening, but then what's going to happen next? You know, after you learn about this information, after you become a little bit more woke, are you going to challenge the racism that you see? You know, when your coworker gets passed over for promotion, or if somebody is dealing with microaggressions, or if you see somebody getting harassed in the streets, are you going to step up and do something? So Wendy is uh, a little bit more pessimistic about the book clubs than I am, but uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's a start. What do you think, Wendy? Um... Man, I mean, we live in a society where, I mean, the reason why so many white folks are where they are, right, why they have progressed, why their families have such good futures was because black folks' families, right, black folks were, I mean, we were deliberately robbed of our futures, of our potential, of our opportunities, right? So, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily... Um, so, I mean, for me, I mean, I see the direct relationship between um, the ways, I mean, and, and, you know, like we talk about, you know, privilege, right, but the, the kind of tremendous power, right, yes. um, that white folks have, that they can, I mean, we live in a society where white folks can talk about the police to their children, right, as officer-friendly, right? If you're in trouble, right, dearly, go to the police, right? Like, you have to try, you know, like, we have to call the police. They're here to help us. Um, and, and this is, you know, um, like night and day, right, a total contrast um, for many of us who, um, you know, within our communities and in our families, if there's a crisis, right, I mean, it really has to take so much for us to even consider calling the police. Um, because Girl, I ain't that. calling them. I have taught right. my I mean, kids and, and I'm not calling them. too. Right? Yeah, I'm not calling them. I'm not, you know, my and I tell this story all the time, girl, and we have documented proof. Uh mm-hmm. my neighbor was um uh, uh sent to uh um 
fight in the war. Uh, you know, there's a storm. And I was like, uh-uh. We, somebody was breaking in his house, and we were like, okay, we were looking at each other like, are we going to call the police? Call no, police, we're yeah. not going to call the police. We took our chances with the with the, with the burglar. Mm-hmm. You know, because I didn't want somebody to, you know, uh, uh, call the police and it's us over there trying to protect the property and then we get shot. So I'm right. like, look, either either we're going to get beat up by this, this criminal or we're going to protect our neighbor. Um, yep. And, and and you know, we did what we had to do and, you mm-hmm. know, got, got, got the person out of the house and, and boarded it up and, you know, just kind of moved our bedroom so that we could you know, check on his house and, and, and see how he was living while he was overseas fighting for our country. Right. You know, and, and, and look, anybody else would have just called 911. Right. No, yeah. I mean, for, for white folks, I mean, they they really are in a position where they're able to, I mean, a lot of them use the police as their own personal security system, right? Or, or, or like they weaponize the police. Because sometimes mm-hmm. they, I mean, they can just be angry, right? A black person, you know, yell back at, at, at a white person, right? Um, who accused this black person of doing something wrong, and the white person didn't like the tone, right? They felt like, oh, you know, I, I didn't like the, the way that, you know, this black person responded. I'm going to call the police, right, to teach them a lesson, right? But oftentimes, just like George Floyd, I mean, what the lesson ends up in murder. The, the lesson yeah. is what? And they know that, and they still call. That's what I don't understand. They know that. They they know that. I mean, you look at the bird watcher story where the woman was in the park, and the black man was just watching birds. She knew that. The woman who didn't want the black people barbecuing in her neighborhood, and, and she called 911. I, I, I mean, you know, it's it's like... You know, just breathing and taking up space sometimes could cost yeah. us our lives. Now, listen, we got to take a quick break. I got Dean Jacobs and Professor Taiwo. They are here on Still Talking, talking about this new book, Sparked. Uh, and and I, I really want people to pick this up for their book club. Because if you really want to figure out what's going on and you are here in Minnesota, this is the perspective that you need from learned educated uh, professors and deans who were here who are now gone who have a different lens on this who can give you an educated perspective and, and change the way you look and think about Minnesota and racism these two have put it all on the line they are educating you tonight they are educating you with their new book they're going to continue to do that next you're listening to News Talk 830 WCCO Radio, your good neighbor station. It is 1037, and you are listening to Steel Talking. Geraldine Steele is out. I'm Shaletta Brundage. I'll be filling in until 11 o'clock. Jonathan and I are hanging out, having these very um, difficult and um, engaging and real conversations tonight. Um, we're talking to uh, Dean Walter Jacobs, Professor Wendy Taiwo. Uh, they have contributed essays to the book Sparked. Now, uh, Dean Jacobs, tell us about Sparked. What sparked it? What did what 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 happened that you decided I'm going to get all of these professors who used to live in Minnesota to come together and put these essays together and put this out for people to read? Yeah, it was really a conversation that I had with uh, with Wendy. So after you know uh, George Floyd was was murdered and the uprising started, you know, I called my my friends back in Minnesota to make sure they're okay. Uh, then like a day or two after that, was talking to Wendy. 
was talking about how, you know, most of my experiences when I was in Minnesota were very positive. You know, I was, I was in the general college, you know, we worked with students of color, a lot of the faculty were black and Latinx and Asian American, so we had a really small, knit, you know, tight-knit community. Um, but then Wendy, her experiences were, were much, were much worse than I did. And she said something very specific. She said that Minnesota was wonderful and wretched for black people like us, which got me thinking. Now, why don't I write to some other folks who were there, used to, used to live there, but now live elsewhere, have them write about their, their experiences of the good and the bad about being in Minnesota. So we, uh, collected 22 of those. They were published from June to October last year. On a, on a website called the Society Pages. Then uh, a couple of months later, we were talking with the publisher of the Minnesota Historical Society Press. Uh, they were interested in turning the, the, the essays into a book, but they wanted to have more voices of black folks. So the original 22 essays was a mixture of white people, black people, Latinx folks, Asian, Asian American folks. So they wanted to have more black people, so we recruited some additional folks, especially people who are there currently. Uh, we got 30, what, 24 additional essays, and we took 12 of the original ones. So, so there are 36 altogether, mostly BIPOC folks. Um, one article is written by a couple of white folks, but otherwise it's, it's a mixture of people who live there currently and people who were there but moved away, all talking about their memories of Minnesota or their current experiences about what happens, especially, you know, Minnesota nights, as we were talking about earlier trying to lift the, lift the veil, lift the veneer to, to look right. at the, the really difficult things that go on that people really don't want to look at, but we really should. And, you know, Wendy, the thing is, is that um, you come and, and you, you stay and, and you try to make a life. And, you know, I know for me and my family, we've had some amazing opportunities, but we were also met with some injustices. And we were met with some um, things that, that, that that took place and and you know the the racism and you know the injustice and and seeing it not just to us but if it happens to somebody else it it, you know sooner or later it's going to happen to me too and and you look at the lack of opportunity especially in north minneapolis and you know we're going through a situation now where three children have been shot and people are saying oh well it's the gangs and lock everybody up i said no it's the opportunity you know I, I, i drove through the neighborhood that there's no there's there's nowhere for the kids to work. There's no hope. You, you, you know, th- there's nothing for them to do. So the gangs are waiting, you know, and, and if you put a grocery store that a grown folks are going to have to work because there's no opportunity for them. So, so then the kids are still stuck out. That's the, how you don't have a Starbucks, how you don't have a caribou coffee, all these major corporations that we have in Minnesota and nobody wants to put a little pop-up Best Buy or a little, uh, you know, pop, 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 pop up a uh, gap, gap or, or, or some kind of clothing store or anything. Mm-hmm. In that community to provide opportunities, especially for young people? Right. Right. I mean, but this is part of a historical trend that's, that's, that's happened, right? I mean, you, I mean, you see a lot of, I mean, in many of our major cities across the United States, um, in the areas where our people were redlined to, right? We were only allowed to live in certain areas, um, all, you know, all the other neighborhoods um, we were restricted from by um, these racially restrictive covenants. Um, we were denied opportunities to work outside of our communities, but at the same time, our communities um, were forced into this this um, this predicament of scarcity. Right? We don't have grocery stores. Right? We have liquor stores. Right? We don't have um, a lot of. Uh, 
of, of the what is it, the chain retail stores, big box stores, mm-hmm. right? Where mm-hmm. is, there, is there a Target, right? Is there, mm-hmm. is there, is there you know, I mean, are there, are there these um, stores that you, that you see in other neighborhoods, like, you know, a plethora of these stores in other neighborhoods? No, right? I mean, I remember um, driving through when I was living there, right, driving through parts of not just um, – not just, not just driving over north, but through you know certain neighborhoods in St. Paul, right? And, and just yeah. kind of looking at well, what what is here for us, right? Mm-hmm. A, a boost or cricket mobile phone spot, right? That there might be you know one uh, you know a few eateries, but most of them are either you know fried foods or, or fast foods, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's really nothing there, and if that's the environment, right? An, an environment of of um, scarcity and environment of deprivation, right? I mean, what what can you expect? What can you expect in terms of really, um, you know, any kind of human potential coming out of that community? There's there's nothing there going on. I mean, aside from what we're doing, right? Families and individuals and community organizations. Um, I mean, it, and churches, right? Cultural institutions, right? That are overtaxed. I think. Um, if there's no investment coming from any anyone or anything outside, then I mean, what you have is just this this um, denial of black potential in a lot of mm. these neighborhoods. And and um, I mean, you hit it on the head when you said you know one of the outcomes, right, is that y- young people don't really have much of a future, don't have many opportunities, um, but there's plenty of opportunity to get into. Um, gangs or there's opportunities i mean there is the opportunity to um you know kind of make money these other routes um mm-hmm. but most of those routes lead to, to prison right yeah or um, death so in a way yeah. that, i mean it's also encouraging right it's it's it, it's a way of also encouraging the the preschool to prison pipeline whether mm-hmm. they drop out or graduate right i mean it's, the prison is still kind of like you know waiting at the end mm-hmm. yeah right yeah. weigh in on that for me uh dean jacobs I don't know. I don't know if I can say anything else. Though Wendy just she, she she put it out there that you know we got these very difficult situations that we need to overcome. Um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you know, within the community, we've always tried to come together. You know, teach our children the reality of the situation. So to me, that's that's again, that's one of the first steps is letting them know what they have to what they're up against, rather than. Um, pretending that these problems don't exist. And, you know, there are always, there are always people who are trying to make a difference and are making a difference. You know, as Wendy mentioned, the cultural institutions, the churches, the nonprofits, the, the folks who are moving back into the, to the cities, you know, the people who never left. You know, some of the essays mm-hmm. in the book are by black academics, you know, at the University of Minnesota and other universities who've never left. It have always been there doing the, doing the hard work to build a community, build that capital so that folks can, can, uh, can, can, can move up. And, you know, the, the thing that, um, Dean Jacobs, um, that, that I, I want to know is, you know, I was in a meeting with my boss and he said, you know, anytime you have a guest on, ask why. Um, you know why 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 sparked why the essays why bring it back um you you already gone you in california living your best life why did you decide that you wanted to shine a light on minnesota nice and um the racism that exists and and help people who don't know understand exactly what we're going through 
I think we really we had two reasons. One is to really help people understand what was going on in Minnesota. You know, as Wendy talked about earlier, a lot of people outside of Minnesota think it's this progressive uh, Wakanda. Wakanda for white people is one of the one of the, the <laughs> things that one of people talk about in the book. Um, but then people don't understand what's going on. So part of it was to help them understand, you know, our home city, which is my home city. I still consider Minneapolis home, even though I live out in California. So that was one reason. Second reason is that many of the issues that exist in Minnesota exist in other parts of the country as well. So one of the big things is people not want, want to put their hands in, in the sands and, and think that because we have a, had a black president and we've got other folks that are black millionaires, that racism is going, going away. So that these issues that we talk about in Minnesota that everybody's looking at now they exist in California and in New York and in Georgia and everywhere else. So we wanted to have this book for people outside of Minnesota as well to start to look at you know, the ways that they participate and perpetuate you know, white supremacy and racism. And, you know, Professor uh, Tawo, um, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking this is the perfect time because so many people saw George Floyd die. Um, here in Minnesota, um, and, and we can't turn a blind eye. You know, yeah. silence is not an option anymore. You have to pick a side, um, mm-hmm. and, and you can't pretend you don't see it. You can't pretend you don't know. Your black friends have been telling you, um, and, and now you finally see it in color uh, for almost nine minutes. Um, is this a, a turning point? Is this a tipping point for us to see some real change in our community? I'm the wrong person to ask that question because, I mean, right after, I mean, didn't they, was it, was it right around the time that they were giving the verdict, the verdict for Chauvin, right, the officer that murdered uh, George Floyd, um, Dante Wright was murdered, right? Yeah. So, you, I mean, you have another black, a young person mm-hmm. murdered by the police. When I was living there, they, they shot and, and murdered Philando Castillo in his car. Right, mm-hmm. he died in his car in transit on a street after being pulled over yet again. Right, it was over fifty times throughout his life that he'd been pulled over at an intersection. Right, uh, just like many black folks across the country. Right, so I mean, whether or not this is a turning point, um, I mean, I think that for one, um, for the rest of the country, right, I think that you know, with um, the murder of George Floyd and, and the, the uprising that came out of the Twin Cities in response to it, um, I think it, it kind of, it did signal that, well, wow, if it's happening out in the middle of, I mean, and this is like, to, for people, you know, on the West and East Coast who don't really know what's happening in the middle, right, in the middle of the country. Yeah. Right? There's people yeah. in California who don't even know there's black people in the middle, <laughs> right? And so they're like, damn, if they're killing, I'm sorry, if they're killing black folks in Minnesota, then they're going to, I mean, then, then this could happen anywhere, right? So it, it was a way to kind of, I think it reinforced the reality that, you know, I mean, anti-blackness is one, real, two, everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of it, of this being a turning point, I mean, I think that, um, I mean, it, it was, it was a, a moment of reckoning, right? I mean, it, it, it was another, yet another moment for white folks to be put, you know, like to be put on the spot, right? For, I mean, for us as black folks, Right. I mean, how many of these through our I mean, through, over the generations have we seen? Right. I was alive mm-hmm. during the beating of Rodney King. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father was alive uh, during the Watts uprising. Right. I mean, we, we've had. Right. I mean, my grandparents, like, think about the Detroit uprising. Right. Um, you, you know, for, for a lot of black folks, I mean, we see these 
you know, the, these murders happen, and, 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 I mean, a lot of murders happen. I mean, the murders by the police happen. I mean, there is no real, you know, big, high-profile case that gets built out of it, right? It gets swept under the rug. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for, for white folks, for non-black folks, it was um, really a time for them to kind of, I guess, it, was, it, was it like a come-to-Jesus moment, right, for them to really, you know, <laughs> question, like, oh, my gosh, is this country really racist, right? Like, they, I mean, they had to really kind of grapple with something that they knew that their black neighbors and coworkers um, and sort of friends, right, were saying, but they, they didn't really want to believe it, right? But also with the Chauvin, right, the guilty verdict, I think that it also, it, it kind of, um, I think it halted some of that momentum because, I mean, having him, right, have, having him kind of um, be condemned, right, and, and found guilty for the murder now allows, I think it allows um, white folks to believe that the justice system okay. does work here and that there are a few bad apples, and he's just one of them, right? And the police are all not that bad, because look at them turning against him, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's almost like this performance of a change that's happening. But for me and for other black folks, I mean, until we see real changes to, you know, the, the racial health gap, the racial wealth mm-hmm. gap, the educational mm-hmm. gap, right? Until we see our communities, you know, over north, until we see some real investment, um, yeah. I'm not really sure about whether or not this is like a turning point, you know, that's going to affect yeah. us in, in the way we need this to affect us. Walter and Wendy, thank you so much for being on Still Talk, and we will be right back. It is 1057. You're listening to Still Talk and on News Talk 830 WCCO Radio. It has been my honor and privilege to fill in for my friend Gerald and Steele tonight. And don't forget, we have so many opportunities for you to honor and remember the life of George Floyd and come together as a community in Minnesota uh, to end racism and to start new and fresh and make it better for our children. On Tuesday, uh, there is a concert, Rise and Remember. The Sounds of Blackness will be there. They will be performing and singing with a special guest. They won't tell me who it is. I'm guessing, Lizzo, I could be wrong, but I don't want to miss it, and I don't want you to miss it. Come there, lock arms, and let's love on each other, Minnesota. Together we can make it happen. Have a great night. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.